Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to another special edition of the Roger Report podcast. And we are joined today by former Sunderland manager Alan Durbin. Alan, how are you today? Very well, thank you. I feel under as much pressure as I did the first day I came to Sunderland, <laughs> having to follow David Jones <laughs> and Sir Bob Murray. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. There's a lot of pressure on you today, it must be said. But we're also joined by the Ithics fanzine. Uh, Nick, how are you? Very well, thank you, Connor. And we've got Neil as well, who's making his debut, I believe. And Dave, good morning. Uh, he's happy to be here. I think it's your second show and we brought you in for your age, really. Yeah, I'm very, very honoured by that. Yeah, thanks for making me feel a little old. Yeah, yeah. That was not as old as I know. Harsh. But uh, before we start, I must admit that um, this all predates me, really. Uh, I was born in 1994. So I'm here today as sort of a guide, a conversation guide, I would describe myself. Because obviously, I don't know what the feeling was at the time. I've researched it, but you can only get so much from stats and... Uh, Written pieces on the well, that one e two season was my first full season at Rooker Park, and that was Alan's season, I think, wasn't it? But yeah. I remember, well, I remember. No offence, was that we were at the bottom of the league for most of the year, and then all, all of a sudden we we went away at Stoke in March, I think it was, and we had this massive resurgence. We beat Everton at home, and um, with Mick Buckley goal, and there was a three one, I think three nil win against um, Brighton, and Colin West got a couple. As the emergence of Colin West and Gary Rowler towards the end of that season, and then the next season, eighty two, eighty three, was a really, really good season because, um, well, I thought it was quite a good season. You got, you got Mark Proctor come in and um, Nick Pickering in, though he was a fullback, but he was, he was, a, you had him in midfield, didn't you? And you had Lyndon James, and it was just a, it was a really good time, I thought. And then you sort of um, got the boot in, in April, <laughs> which, which was, yeah, I, I thought, it was very I, untimely. Well, it, it was the first season of the three points. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And we went to Ipswich and drew through all in the first game and, and you felt you dropped, because we've been in front, you obviously felt you dropped two points. Yeah. Um, and I think we had 11 points at Christmas. And we I don't think anybody had survived after that. But it's that resurgence in the spring, which is, it was a really, we, we, I don't know how many we won, but it was just like, it was a great... We had a good end of the season, yeah. Yeah, we beat Man City the last game of the season. It was 1-0, yes, Mick right. Buckley. Mick Buckley, yeah. yeah. Uh, so... Really, I want to start sort of from the top. So you'd done well at Stoke City. Um, you came out with a famous quote, uh, which I've written here, which is, if you want entertainment, See go and watch a bunch of clowns. Yeah. Um, and they, met, they left the word circus out. Yeah. I said, go to the circus. You know, that, that, I was taken out of context quite a lot. <laughs> but, uh, you know, my job 
on an away match is to, to hope that your supporters would go home quite satisfied. And the best way of getting points, certainly we didn't have a lot of goal scorers, the best, you know, was to organise us defensively. And we were getting round to that uh, at the point that I left. Um, when you'd moved, I mean, what was behind the move to Sunderland uh, at the time? Well, I'll, I'll tell you a story. In 1953, which is going back an awful long time, Sunderland went down to play Swansea City, or Swansea Town as it was then, in the third round of the FA Cup, I think. And in Wales, it doesn't snow that much in South Wales, especially as the Vetch field then was right near the ground. And there were two inches of snow on it. It was, all the markings were in blue, and I can remember it as if it was yesterday. And that... 20 to 5, when every football match finished in those days, you ran to the station to catch the bus. Oh, sorry, to catch the train. And as I was running, the Sunderland team overtook me. And they actually were on the train that went through Port Albert, where I lived, and were on their way, I assume. They were going up to London to then catch the... And um, they were there, and I got the autographs of Trevor Ford and Ray Daniel, who were Welsh internationals. And that was my first connection, really, with Sunderland Football Club. And how did you, you know, did Tom Cowie contact you for the job? I mean, how did, how did that come about? Um, I think the secretary contacted me and said, would I be interested in coming out? We'd, we'd come up and I think we'd played very well in a League Cup here. I remember Mike Doyle and Sammy Irving getting a couple of goals here. And uh, we'd played quite well. And... Um, I got a phone call. I assume it might have been from... Uh, it was more likely it would have been from a press man, you know, to say, would I be interested? But I was just about to leave t- for Barbados with the Stoke City side. We'd been sponsored, I think, by Red Red Stripe Lager or something like that. And, and so we were out in Barbados. And uh, I wasn't going to miss that, <laughs> that trip. Thank you very much. And uh, they promised me that if we'd stayed up or if we'd finished it, I had some agreement with them that they said my family could go to Barbados and catch us up a week later or something like that. And uh, so I'd had two really good weeks in Barbados and came back and, and then I handed my notice in officially, although I had made my mind up you know, before I went. So- also, one of the reasons as well was... I played football with a chap called Ivor Orchurch, who was probably Wales's one of one of Wales's best players, and uh, he came back to Cardiff, having gone from Swansea Town to to Newcastle. He came back to Cardiff and played with me in my last two years there, and he said, "If you ever get a chance to go work in the northeast or play in the northeast, grab it with both hands," and that stuck with me, really, because you know I'm 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 a sports nut. You know I'm not just I haven't just been interested in football. You know, I've played sport, I've played golf or tennis every day this week. Did so? Did uh, the northeast live up to its billing? Are you happy that you did make the move up here? I did. Oh, it was a great experience. I loved every minute of it. Absolutely loved every minute. But I was, I was fighting people all the time. <laughs> that was the problem. So, I mean, I remember when you you came up. You're actually the first manager I remember arriving at Sunderland. I was must have been about twelve, thirteen years old. Yes. Um, and I remember it was a big surprise at the time because you'd done pretty well with Stoke. They were nicely settled mid-table. And then he came to us and we'd only just avoided relegation. Yep. So, I mean, what sort of promises <clears throat> did Tom Kelly make to you 
about the sort of you know sort of transfer budgets or anything like that. Uh, he didn't have. I mean, but I I just came up on my own. Do you know what I mean? I never brought a whole bunch of physiotherapists and coaches and assistant managers. I just came up on my own and and drove up. I, he he never really promised me anything. I mean, he, he increased my wages slightly, uh, and Stoke had, had, had offered to equal that anyway. So that wasn't the reason. The the thing that Ivor Oldchurch said to me, come up and and and, you know, up the northeast, you love it, and that st- stuck with me. And uh, you know, that was probably six years, seven years later before I, you know, eventually came up here. But I mean, I that. As a manager, you never went into those things. You know, you you. It was either you wanted to go, and I just saw the potential, as I thought, um, at the time. But did Tom Carey give you any money? I mean, I remember the first program cover of that season was on Wet Against West Ham. I think it was. There was a picture of you and Ali McCoist. You just signed Ali McCoist for big money from um, St Johnston. Yeah, but I'd given them permission to sell Joe Bolton to to Middlesbrough, so I, we used that. Was nearly all. Right. All that money, really. So that was um, no. He didn't say anything. I just, I just thought potentially it, it was, a, it was a huge club. Sunderland had narrowly avoided relegation the previous season. So, what was the state of the club like when you joined? You know, uh, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of players. You know, was this a team that was destined to get relegated to the second division? Yeah, I would have thought so. I mean, I went on tour to Scotland pre-season and I think I took 24 players and I still had three players in America. Now, that didn't amuse me, the thought that, you know, to save money on on, um, summer wages that you'd let your players go to. Because during my period at Derby, I got asked to take the Welsh team as captain to New Zealand. And Cluffy told me and congratulated me and then said, but you ain't going. And, you know, that was typical. You, you need to refill your charge, recharge your batteries during the during the summer period. And I came back here, and as I say, so I, my, my brief really was not promising to sell. My brief was really to sell sell eight to ten players and cut the, the staff down. So it was very much sell to buy. Yes, hopefully. But, I mean, you know, at that particular stage, I mean, the money was, was negligible. I was fortunate to do in that first, um, pre-season to be able to go and buy Ali McCoy but he he had never done an apprenticeship in football I think he was working in a in a tax office in, in Perth and and was playing part-time at St. Johnson yeah, and so I went up I think three times to have a look see what I thought and um, he was very much like uh, like Kevin Phillips when I went to see him he couldn't hit the barn door but he could <laughs> but he could play it's, I remember McCoy's debut, yeah. and I remember very vividly standing in the full end, and the, the the bloke next to me said, "By that lad's too good for us," because he just seemed head and shoulders above everyone, and just that lip, you know, three yards ahead of everyone in his thinking. Yes, yes. So when you when you go and look at a striker, you always you never want to see him start to move. Yeah. By the time your eyes are on him, he's really got to be on the move and, and away and. Uh, Ali was terrific. He played against Rangers that night. He had about five chances. He missed every one of them. <laughs> uh, they lost about 5-1, and I came back in the car with um, with the doc, and um, uh, we said, you know, how much t- you know he's got to come. But he was no nowhere near ready when... Uh, although yes. he did play the first... He played, I think he came on a sub at Ipswich in the first game, if I remember rightly. He was very raw when he was with us, wasn't he? 
Yeah, well, he hadn't done his apprenticeship. He didn't know what the habits of professional footballers. I couldn't find him at night. Um, <laughs> he was extremely popular, Ollie, when he was in Sunderland and still is. What happened with the senior pros like Kevin Arnott and Joe Bolton when you first arrived? Joe Bolton had gone before I. Uh, he went the day I. I think he went January, but they'd spoken to me about him, and I said, I think they were offered two hundred thousand, I think, from Middlesbrough. So I said, slash their hands off because <laughs> I thought it might give me a bit of strength to get my type of player in, and um, Arna had loads and loads of ability, but never could never rely on him, and you know, it's it's doesn't matter where you work in, whether it's in a football stadium or you work in an office, you want to know what people are going to give you. And Cluffy used to, to split uh, all our players up as, as labourers and artists. And he said, once it gets January or February, you don't want too many artists up that northeast. <laughs> and as a result, you, 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 you really want people who you know what you're going to get from. And, I mean, it took me, I think I wheedled a whole team out you know, in, a, in about a year and a half, you know, which went from Siddle to Whitworth to, to Allardyce, Sam Allardyce, hmm. um, Dunn, Richie, Hawley. I mean, I could go through, I wrote them down the other night, they were about 16 that, were, that went in about two years. But Sean Elliott formed quite a big part of your defence, didn't he? Sean, Sean uh, kept getting injured and, and, and I was never really sure what his best position was. Hmm. He was a bit similar to Colin Todd, who I'd played with, in that Sean never read it particularly easy, uh, quickly, early. He'd never read the situation early, but had terrific pace, mm. and his pace got him out of trouble. Um, not the best passer of the ball, but he was uh, he, he was in the side when I left, and he was part and parcel of the side, and he was, yeah. I think he was maturing into a bit of a left back mm. at that particular stage, and he was, he was, he was useful. Chris Turner had done well the season before. So what was your thinking about the goalkeeper position? Well, I just thought he was a good keeper. I thought Chris Turner was a good keeper and he went on to win the first <clears throat> first premiership with Man United. Yeah. Yeah. I think. Um, and he was a good really good keeper, Chris Turner. Barry Siddle always wanted to play and I think he was happy to get back to Lancashire, I think, where he went. And of course I had the kid um Prado, um, who was starting as a young lad and doing well in the in the youth side. Um, I was quite happy with, with with those two keepers, really. We talked a little bit about Ali McCoy's before, but I wanted to see what your thoughts were on how well he did after he'd left Sunderland. Were you frustrated that Sunderland didn't get to enjoy Ali at his best? Not really. No, I, I, I was pleased for the lad. I mean, I've seen him a couple of times since, but, I mean, the, the lad always had potential. The lad could always find space, and the lad always had two really good feet. Um, tried too hard in his early days and never done an apprenticeship, didn't know how to live as a, as a professional footballer. And and you, you you acquire all those things while you're growing up. Now, now they're going into academies at eight and nine year old. Now he's starting his professional, real professional career at 17 and a half. And, the, and suddenly he's playing in a, in a side that doesn't create many chances. And, and, and to be fair, he never really had a... a, a what I would call a great opportunity at Sunderland because we were never on top in enough matches during that period. But likeable lad, he was absolutely terrific. And was it a good decision to sell him in 1983, or was it a decision made out of necessity? I approved of the of the decision because he didn't really get enough goals to make an impact on our position in the league. And Gary Rowell as well. 
I did have Gary Rowell, and I'm never sure about where where Gary wanted to play. Whether he wanted to play right as right up as the front man, or play off at number ten, or even play in midfield, which mm. I did one 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 saw twice. But he 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 was a natural goal scorer. He knew where the ball was going to drop in the box, and uh, you know he was in the side that, as when I left and doing quite well. You'd offered youth a route to the first team, so the likes of Pickering, Venison, West, Prudder, um, and. There was similar like Bracewell at Stoke as well. So was that something you favoured as a manager, like bringing in the youth players? I did. Well, I, I think I think it's all about development. I'd, I'd left uh, Adrian Heath and, and Steve Bold at at, Sunderland, at uh, Stoke, and when they were only just young lads, I'd brought Bracewell into the side. I'd brought Chapman into the side, and um, I, I was very sad to leave them because it it it's. You know they're only embroyers or whatever you call it. They're just starting off, and um, you 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 like to see how they're growing up. I suppose a bit like your own children because you you have to give them so much advice at times. You actually feel like like their fathers at times. And then I came here and saw one or two like Venison was always going to be a player and Pickering had a very good early part of his career. He didn't do so well towards the end. But um, you know there were enough young lads all the time, and I, I the one thing about signing young lads because I wasn't that old myself, you know I was fairly close age wise. In, in, is that you, you know they will, will listen to you generally. They can relate to you better, I think. How would you define your style of play um, and your style of management? Because Gary Rowell said I was reading before an article that you were always after a clean sheet. Is that the sort of manager you were? Or was that necessity because of the resources you had? No, I think uh, there was a necessity from the resources. I think that we would we could never dominate games long enough because while I was trying to build a team, I was always having to to actually get rid of people as well, and I, I had a lot of obstacles. You know, they 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 cut the rock up. Did they knock the rock yeah. park down but during that era? There was the miners' the strike. It was. Everything was going on, and you know, during that time, the only bit of good news I think was that uh, we won that big test with uh, with both of them, the Ashes Test. Remember that second season you were there? I remember some quite free flowing attacking football. You had Leighton James on one on one wing, and you got you had um, your midfield. You had Bracewell and Proctor. You brought in that was quite a, a solid midfield, and with with, with um, Leighton James on on the left. Yeah, that was probably more the third. Season, I think, more so than the second. I know we stayed up, I think, with about a couple of games to win it, uh, to go in the second season. Um, I don't think I was uh, that defensively minded, but I had worked with Cluffy, and Cluffy's big thing was keep a clean sheet. You'll always get a couple of chances to score. And, uh, you know, we, we, we didn't have enough attacking players. I was always introducing people like Gordon, um, like West, and and young lads and 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 Cummins was a huge disappointment for somebody who potentially was a really good player. How much did you model yourself on Brian Clough? I just I, I liked the way if, if somebody asked me about Clough, Clough, he was so unpredictable, and he you couldn't second guess him. And if you if you thought you were a regular in the team. And he stuck the team out sheet on the on the wall. If he didn't jump up and have a look at it and thought you were you were okay, he could cross your name out. And and some of the things that he did, his discipline was good. I mean, we didn't get many people sent off. We didn't get people booked for dissent. We 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 generally did had, had a fairly good record with that. And in the position we were in, we couldn't have afforded it anyway. 
Um, but I learned a lot from him. Did you ever pick up the phone to call him when you were manager at Sunderland for advice? No, not, not really. No, no. no. I made my own up mind up. I didn't want to be a second Brian Clough. I made my own <laughs> up mind up what I wanted to be. How did you get your ideas across during your first season here? You know, how difficult was it to put your stamp on the team? I always felt I was fighting things. The, the people running the club weren't, and I'm, I, you know, Tom Cowie was chairman, and I, he didn't like me because I had my car was always dirty to start with. That, was, that never helped. But he. he <laughs> Him and, and I think he brought his own accountant in, uh, Jeff Davidson, to, to be secretary of the club. And they weren't football people. Two years before, we should have played Stoke in an FA Cup. Sorry, we should have played. I was manager of Stoke. We should have played Sunderland FA Cup. No, it wasn't a cup. It was a league match in December or January. And they never got to Stoke because they'd gone and parked the bus and the team had stayed overnight in a hot, in a high altitude hotel, so in Sheffield. Now, either Newcastle or Middlesbrough had gone all the way to to, to Bristol, you know, in, in winter. Why would you stop in 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 Sheffield? And we had to call the game off. And like, Half-hour supporters were almost in the ground. And, and that's when I realised that the club, I don't think, had enough football people in and around the club who were brought up with, with, in, with football habits. Do you look at that, like the problems that Sunderland have had recently, do you think that was the same? You know, not enough football people and that's why they fell in the third division and that's basically what happened after you'd left as well. Well, I think at the turn of the century, I think Sunderland won the league five times. Is that right? So that would tell you there's enough local people <laughs> around that would, would, would contribute to your side and, and your side be good enough. But I, what, what I found... During that year, was there was an ob, always an obstacle somewhere. You try and you think everything's all right, and then something would happen. Now, th- th- this was a major issue: the three players going to to America because I think Stan came back injured. Um, I don't know there were Sean Elliott and, and Barry Siddle were there, and and all of a sudden, you for the first three or four weeks I'm there, I haven't got three of the players, you know, to work with. The reason they did that is because they saved wages in the summer. Well, they saved wages for the summer. Everything wow. was cost-cutting, everything. Wow. And then they pulled the Roker end down, didn't they? Yeah. At this, you know, during one of those seasons I was there. So we we played with some tin sheeting at the back of the goal, I think. <laughs> uh, during your first season, um, we went on a, a brilliant run towards the end of the season. We won six, drew three and lost two. Yeah. Uh, we stayed up on the final day when we won at Man City. At home. At home to Man City, sorry. I have put against there. <laughs> My own error. Um, what was the, you know, what, what changed that year? How did you manage to I brought West in. I brought Colin West in. Is that right? The first yeah. year I think I brought yeah. Colin West in. And it gave us a bit <laughs> of size. We played off the centre-half. And, and to be fair, Westy came to me and said to me, hey, he said, I should be in this team or I think I can do better than the people that are in the team. And I was slipping McCoy in and out and I was messing about a little bit more than perhaps I should have and suddenly we, we suddenly got a, we'd always had a bit of confidence you know I never felt that we were going to go anywhere and get a belt in because we, we could defend and um, and then we had a good run and I worked a whole week on, on before that I said we're not going away anywhere we, I just none of you are talking to the press 
um, what we're going to work on is actually shooting. And we work nearly all week on shooting and, and keeping low as you hit the ball. So you made sure that nothing was getting ballooned over the bar. And, and, <clears throat> and it's amazing. One dropped to, to Buckley about after about 25 minutes and he cracked, hit it. And, it and, and we stayed up. And I mean, if ever I did achieve anything as a football manager, that first year was probably the... The best that I ever did. I can see that Mickey Buckley goal in my mind now. Is it? it was, yeah, it was like, the fall end, and everyone just. I got crushed in the foot when that run in it. It's a brilliant yeah, goal. Yeah. Did, did that, you, that run from right and centre? That start Stoke away. Have you, we, got, have you got figures in front of you? We lost against Borough on April third. Then right. we drew it home to Ipswich. And we went went yes. away at Stoke, I think. Uh, how good was it to beat Man City on the final day to secure the position? What was your day like? You know, how did you celebrate? Oh yes, there's too much relief to celebrate. You know, it was just the the, the I'm I was so pleased in the day it, it justified in the decision I made in coming here, and also to see the I mean our, our gates had dropped dramatically during that period because people had got fed up. We hadn't won many home games, and um, uh, I I don't do celebration very much. I was just satisfied that the job had been done and and, and the players had done it. You know, it, it's. If your players are responding to you, that is the be- that's the best thing that you can do. And on that particular day, and on that particular run from that Stoke match, um, you know, it was it was it was a pleasure to be uh, manager of Sunderland Football Club. I think as a fan, it was uh, we were on a, on a crest of a wave as well because there's there's three final home fixtures. I think it was Everton we won three one at home, yes. and Brighton we beat three 0 and that was just and um, and then the last game was Man City, and it's just yes. uh, is it, yeah. like, is it, it was it was like a crest, and and the fans just were all up for it. I think that last game was twenty six thousand. I think it was quite yeah. a lot. Of it was there. it was pretty full in there. So yes. I, I remember being there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, oh, it, was, it was euphoric. Was a, it was a great day. It was a great day. But we also had a good result against Forest in that run. Did we? Did we get a draw with them? About two all or Might something. Done, yeah. Second season, uh, you saw more experience through the door. Jimmy Nickel, Frank Worthington, Leighton James. Was that a change in policy given the results in your first season, or was it resources able to let you do it? Well, Leighton James and Frank Worthington added to our attacking force. You know, they mm. they had brought different Leighton James cross the ball exceptionally well, and then, and then then Frank, and Frank was a terrific pro. That's what what surprised me because. Uh, we Cluffy had one or two instances with him where he was dressed like a little bit like uh, Elvis Presley and things, <laughs> Frank. But frankly, I, I got to know Frank very well, um, even afterwards, and uh, he was a great influence on the kids. And I hadn't seen that at the club. It's, it's very, very handy to have somebody really strong at the club. So if anybody's putting anybody bullying the kids or bu- bullying the apprentices, you jump on them straight away. And Frank was like that and was a really good influence in the club and, and did all right for me until um, till he got an injury after after about three months. What did you make of the second season? Because we fought relegation again. Were you expecting to be in a relegation fight or did you think you had more in the squad? Yeah, I, I, we, we never, as a side, had enough goals in us. As good a player as Paul Bracel was, was an excellent player. He was only get two or three a year. I, I couldn't really add up. I, I didn't, never had a 20-goal-a-year man anyway. And that, and and that is why I, I assume that people thought I was fairly negative in, in, in my thinking. But I I, I felt at times why I, I had tried to 
sign attacking players and look for attacking players, but we were always short of goals because we couldn't control matches for long enough. And were you ever tempted to move? There was reported interest from Leeds and Manchester City at the time. Did you ever think about leaving Roker Park or were you committed to the job here? No, Leeds asked for permission to speak to me and it was refused. So for the, for that little period, somebody liked me somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> How does that make you feel, though, when you know you don't get um, the opportunity? Well, I mean, that was to... huge. It was a huge job, you know, the Leeds job then. I mean, uh, it was probably post-Revy. Um, I, I don't think I ever thought of it. You know, I, I, I was enjoying working here. I was enjoying bringing kids through. I was, because I was still playing. I was still playing the reserves occasionally. Which because there's nothing like playing. Once you've finished it, it's whatever you do. It's it's, ne- it's never the same as actually playing. And uh, and uh, you know I went and played in the reserves and enjoyed playing at the back and 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 you know it, I helped to bring the kids on or hoped that I helped to bring the kids on and 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 hope they would learn a little bit about talking on the field about positions, holding positions, marking people, and just reminding people what their job should be. And that's what I think. The one thing I do think, I think when players went on to play for me, on, on when they went on the pitch, they knew what their jobs were. How did you feel managing Sunderland legends like Gary Rowell, Sean Elliott, Paul Bracewell? How does it <clears> feel looking back that you were you know, critical in their developments and sort of their stories as Sunderland players? Well, well Gary was ready-made when I got here. Sean, Sean had terrific ability wasn't sure what his best position was. He'd played next to centre-half most of his career. But, I mean, I, I fetched Paul Bristol with me from Stoke. So I knew all about him. He'd, he'd been turned down by about three clubs, um, you know, even as a kid. And I, I took him and I just liked his attitude. And, uh, you know, he was he was a very strong influence, and he, you know, as he was when, when he came and worked with Reedy afterwards. And his um, his contribution, I think, to the club has been immense considering he spent a couple of seasons at Newcastle as well <laughs> what went on with the Stan Cummins free transfer he went to Crystal Palace I believe and then he came back a year later Stan was away in America and got injured out there and I got contacted him and said well come back early if you oh no we're having a good time out there mm. and, and when he came back he then had to renew his contract and the secretary forgot to put in either the um, the bonus sheet or something like that, but had made a mistake. Now, we're talking about somebody who, you know, who wasn't a football man. This is, this is what I'm trying to say to you. He forgot to put the bonus sheet in and that meant that you were offering somebody a lower contract than you had before, which entitled him to get a free transfer. So he went to the PFA and applied for a free transfer. And um, I was never very keen on anybody that didn't want to play for the club. I mean, all I'm interested in is people who's going to give everything for the club. And he was never interested in that. He were, and he was a really good player, Stan Cummins. I, I, he had terrific ability, but he was a worrier. You know, first mistake he'd make, he'd worry about it. And he worried about other things that you know, would never cross my mind to worry about. How good did you think Pickering and Venison could be? Uh, they both went on to play for England. Pickering, Pickering was a, was a a free, whatever you would call it. He he could play. He loved running. 
you know, and he you know, started with him at fullback, and and I took him to Scotland to, at the, my very first season, really, to carry the kit around and to, and to help out. And I put him in, threw him into one of the games, and and said to him, look, every time you space in front of you, just get forward and run with it. And he had a magnificent. You won the young player of the year, I think, the the yeah. uh, the northeast player of the year, young northeast player of the year, the first year, and and did exceptionally well. I thought he was he was good. And then, um, but of course, you know, he left for fairly soon after I did. Um, didn't have as good second and third years, but still kept his place in the side. and was I was a threat down that left hand flank. He's, I remember him being definitely a runner. A little bit like a winger. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He crossed. He crossed a few balls that we got goals from in in that period, and uh, he scored a few as well, didn't he? Yeah. Good lad. Nice lad. Uh, looking towards the end of your time, you know, you, you'd built up quite a team. But was it a, a shock to be sacked when you were sacked? No, I'd fallen out with him uh, with with Tom Cowie. Tom Tom Cowie's idea of. Tom Cowie used to ring Bobby Robson and he'd ring other managers and he'd he'd come in and, and and try and tell me things about football. But you couldn't you couldn't have a discussion on football. When when I was at uh, Shrewsbury, I'd managed Shrewsbury and I'd managed Stoke. The chairman, the secretary, and myself to a lesser degree ran the club, and I knew what was happening. When I came here, I had no idea what was going on within the club, as in, and and. Within two weeks, two or three weeks of, of the season tickets coming available for the first season, I got a knock on the office door and my secretary said, there's a gentleman and an old lady wants to see you. So they came in and the lady's in tears. So I said, what's the problem? She said, we've just been to renew our um, season tickets and somebody shouted from the commercial office, you're wasting your money, they'll be down by Christmas. And that's what I was fighting against, you know, all the time I was there. There were always, you know, the the press, for instance. I, I used to drive up from Yarm every day and, and I had five sort of national newspapers who all then had their individual area up here that I had to get stories to the northeast. I, I, I had to fill their papers with something about Sunderland. And then you had... Paul Etherington locally and John Richardson and as well were the local reporters and you were, you know, you, you were having to, to fill papers when I'm driving up and trying to make things up in my mind, you know, just to keep Sunderland getting enough publicity. So it was those sort of things that I was fighting all the time on my own and I didn't really have uh, the the coaches I had. I had Mick Doherty the first year who was, who was very close to players, Proper football man Mick was was very enthusiastic, worked hard, reliable, um, but was too close to players because he'd played with them and been injured <laughs> and, and taken over as coach. Then I had Peter Eustace the following year. Um, and then the, the best chance I had was um, was when I got, I paid a little bit of money for Pop Robson to come back from from Chelsea. And, uh, and he looked after the side the third year. And that's when... When we we I thought we started our a real chance. You spoke quite a bit about Tom Cowie. Um, what was your relationship like with him? Obviously negative, but you know, sort of away from football. Did you get along or? No, no, no. Well, we don't. I didn't see him away from football really. I might have gone up there for dinner 
once or twice when uh, something wasn't right. Um, I never had any trouble with him in terms of uh, board meetings or, you know, reprimanded. And he, I went, he once gave me a row for getting four points playing in the, in the reserves for, for getting booked or something like that. But um, his, his, his knowledge of football and what was required, he, he was always wanted to save money. You know, and he was always whinging that when a player's car came back, it did look as if, if some chickens had been living in it or something. But he was, <laughs> you know, he's always, he's a good businessman. But I don't think his, um, I don't think he knew what the public wanted. Let's put it that way. That was probably my best analysis of him because he could say the wrong thing. He was always saying that we need to cut corners and we need to be you know, cut the wages. Everybody else is growing in the country because football was, you know, expanding again. And 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 I felt we were uh, we were very tied. I was just going to say, I mean, Tom Curry was always a very divisive figure up here. I mean, undoubtedly loves Sunderland. Yes. And I mean, his widow now is still involved with the Beacon of Light and and all and all that side of thing. But it it, it very much you know divides opinion up here. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's just really. When that decision came, I mean, doing do, was a split board decision. Well, well, it was it was very intriguing because he he'd appointed Barry Beatty, who had been one of his major uh, vocal enemies in the press and and at AGMs. He'd appointed Barry Beatty to to the board, um, probably three months, perhaps four months before I finished, and. Um, to my mind, it's quite possible he, he put him on the board to even the votes up on my dismissal so that that left him with the casting vote. Yeah. So that was, um, <laughs> you know, it was a very strange one because uh, my main ally on the board was a chap called Ian Fraser, who was a sportsman. He'd come up from Suffolk. He was a farmer and lived up at Berwick-on-Tweed and was a terrific bloke. He was reliable, he'd been a county tennis player and he was a single-handed golfer and he was a sportsman. And he always, he mixed with sports people all the time. And, and, and so he could relate to me and, and you know, how things were going. And, and of course, um, when I did get a sack, he resigned at the same time at that, the stupidity of, of what he saw as a stupidity. I think Neil said us right that he was very, very divisive here. No one, no one really liked him. You made that comment about how the fan Newcastle got better um, attendance than we did. That's right. Because the did. Swans, it was like that was yes. just like we really yes. stood. Well, I never forgive him for that. No, you're right. How disappointing was it to see your Sunderland team that you'd built for the long term broken up uh, after you'd left? So you know, Bracewell, Chapman, uh, Pickering, Venison—they all left within a few years. Was it frustrating watching your good work kind of get? Destroyed. Well, obviously, I, I, I was extremely disappointed to get sacked, but I, I had a feeling it was coming. Now you can tell when the chairman, when you're not the chairman's best friend. Hmm. Um, and I, the Barry Beatty thing, I, I, I felt right from the very start. Why has he got one of his biggest, you know, enemies onto the board? Um, but I, I, what did, what did I do? I, I stayed out of football for about two months. And I went and played for Willington. And then, you know, and I went up there and managed them for a little while and, and played as well and, and got back to loving life. And um, I, I never harboured any grudges about this at all. I might have made my own mistake because I was offered a contract and I didn't 
starts their hands off. I was offered a yearly extension, same wages, no no bonuses or no nothing uh, to improve the contract. And I and I just thought it was a token effort by by Mr. Cowie. And and at the end of the day, he's entitled to do what he wants. If he wants to put his money in and run the club, he's entitled to say, "I've had enough of you." But I mean, what what really hurt? A was the who I was replaced by, somebody who just got the sack by Newport County, and and the fact that within three seasons you would you you dropped two divisions. And Laurie, I mean, I Laurie came in after him, and and I mean, you know, he couldn't win a match. I mean, he, they got relegated in no time from the from the championship or from the from what was the old second division. So that's what hurt because a I like the club, have no. Feeling, uh, you know, I loved the club. I loved working up here. I loved the fact that I, were, I went down to watch some cricket down at one of the colliery grounds and the two West Indian opening batsmen are playing for them. Mm. And then I'm walking about and then somebody comes in the office and it's, it's Brendan Foster and 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 his mate, the, the, the runner, you know, that, that Steve Cram, that, you know, I think they were helping out with Nike then or something like that. But it, you know, when you come to a sporting area like this, you you realise I'm from Shropshire and 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 you know other than Shrewsbury Town there's hardly anything that goes on there regarding sport. <laughs> um, I wanted to number one. You've obviously got a book coming out. Uh, I thought it would be good to hear sort of what the book. Well, I presume it covers your full time at Sunderland. Does it cover your whole life start to finish? No, no. The the book is the book's extremely strange. I mean, David Snowden has rung me a couple of times and said, "Look, I'd like to write a book about." 81 to 84, while you were here. Um, there's nothing in it about my personal life at all. It is just about the football club uh, over, over over the three years. And my contribution has been minim- minimal, but the book is accurate, and, and it, it's I come out of the book reasonably well. I mean, obviously, I made mistakes while I was here, and, and he reminded me of them. And, uh, but the, the, the overall... Thing I think represents the northeast, in and the, by by the title, is is that people have got no patience, but they're changing managers left, right, and centre. They think the manager is always the problem, and and the big problem is that we let people, players, and and kids from the north because we we're not what I call successful clubs. And you think and nobody's we none of us have won the the league as Middlesbrough you know, the top division for years and years, the players are too happy to move from here. Or the kids are too happy for move from here. You know, Brian Robson and Kendall and people like that, they should never have left the the, the northeast. They should <coughs> should be playing their football in the northeast. Mm. And that's why I think that um you know the the whole demise of of the area in terms of not winning things is is, is caused by allowing too many scouts into to Pinch people from Walls End Boys Clubs and places like that. I mean, Shearer went down to Southampton to start, didn't he? Yeah, Michael Carrick as well. Yeah. He's a local lad. Yeah. Who, well, there's countless players, isn't there, that we've uh, missed out so on. So the book really is is already about... It, it's it's a hard read if you're not a Sunderland supporter. Yeah. <laughs> and I never thought David would get a um, a publisher. But he's got a publisher and, and the book is it's interesting for me because there's things in there that I'd forgotten. Yeah. You know about incidents on matches and and incidents on people I bid for, um, and it was it was really really good. 
I've got two final things I want to ask you about. So number one, I want you to tell me your favourite Brian Clough story from your time with him. <laughs> There's a few stories I can't tell you. Um, we'd, we'd, we'd gone to a place called Lee Green training and for um, for three days before a big match. And it's out in the country, you get bored stiff there. I'd had a game of tennis with him just to amuse him because he wasn't, and, and we'd, but two of the lads had sneaked in down, down gone out for a walk and gone into the pub. And they'd, but they'd only drunk soft drinks, so I'm told. So anyway, he, he sends them home. This is about 30 or 40 miles home. So we're all playing there now, and, and there's been a bit of a barney because we've said to him, hey, they're only drinking something, and Cliffy wouldn't listen to anything you said. He saw you. Anyway, so we're, we're playing cards, and it's all very, very quiet, and the atmosphere is horrible. And um, Les Green, who was a bit of a comedian, came in with a with a white coat on, and on top of his shoulders, he had a, a, a case of beer. So he came in, I don't know if you remember the advert, where he came in, he knocked the door and he shouted, Davenport's beer at home for Mr. Colliff. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Cluffy got up and chased him out of this door. <laughs> He'd been taking the mic, calling him Mr. Colliff as well. I mean, it was hilarious. And it, but what it did, it just broke the ice again, you know, so everybody was relaxed again. But he shot up and chased him out of that door. <laughs> and you also worked for the club Sunderland later on in your life. And what was, what was your role for people who didn't know? Well, I went there as uh, Paul Brace would rang me. Um, I'd worked for Paul when he was at Fulham uh, as manager, and he rang me and he said, Breedy's looking for a for a chief scout. So I wasn't doing anything. I'd, I'd finished at uh, Stoke as assistant manager, I think. Oh, no, I hadn't. I'd, that was before. I'd, I'd gone there and uh, I, I went anyway, and um, we, we did all right. I think we, we might have won promotion fairly fortunately. It's really his second year, was it? Well, he it... kept them up, didn't he? And then he went yeah, yeah, and then went down. Mm. And then he said, look, we've got to get some better players. So I, he said, I'm thinking of Niall Quinn. So I went, I was looking at him at West Ham and Quinny got two. And I, and I said to Reedy, well, he would, he would, you know, he'd score an hour without any problem. And um, and I'd, I'd watched Kevin Phillips for about four or five times and, and, Watford's a horrible place to go to, go to if you're scouting and no one here to ground to park. You, you, they promise you a car park to get you get there and there's no one there. And you, it, it, it's it's a bind. And I never enjoyed going, but I went and somebody had told me he'd, he'd come from, come in from non-league and because he started as a kid at Southampton and they, they released him. Mm. And he came in and he, Bulldog, Bulldog Town, Bulldog I think yeah, he was. Yeah. He played as a, and I went to see him, and he was—he kept getting in position. He was very similar to McCoyst, but a bit quicker, bit a bit quicker, and he um, missed chance after chance after chance. And then I went to a dinner, a league manager's dinner, and uh, I was fortunate enough to sit next to Glenn Roder, who had just got the sack at uh, at Watford. I said, "Tell me about Kevin Phillips," mm. and he said, "Oh, he's just." Um, come back from America and and we think they've taken a bit of a bursar or a, something, a growth off his, his ankle. So I said, hey, I said, how's he going? And he said, he was flying. So I went back to Reedy. I said, Reedy, I'd, I'd already marked down and sent reports in to say 
he would do us. So when Kevin came up, you know, he had, Ipswich offered the same money, I think. And Kevin came up and I sat with Reedy and I and, uh, and we really sold him on the strength of playing with Quinn. You know that the thought of playing off a big, mm-hmm. off a big man, and I mean they were sensational. I mean he was oh, he was absolutely terrific. So he did win the Golden Boot, didn't he? Yes. Kevin, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. European Golden Boot, one yeah. of the one of the few. And McCoy did as well. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, he was at Rangers at the time. <laughs> and when did you leave Sunderland? At the end, I got the opportunity to go to Stoke as uh, assistant manager. You were caretaker there as well, weren't you? As well. Ah, oh, that was after um, somebody got the sack. Um, go on, there were lads that's on. Uh, Sky Sports in Sunday mornings. Kamara. Kamara, yes. Kamara was there for had a bad time because his, his dad died, I think, soon after he took over the job and uh, he had a sticky spell there. And then I went down and I lasted about, I did the last six matches, I think. And one of the matches was actually was actually here, right. which we lost. But uh, I enjoyed it. And then I, I, up until two years ago, I worked in the... Uh, in the academy at Stoke, as a mentor with the with the young players, with midfield players mainly. Because no. I can't understand why midfield players have stopped scoring. They're all like I mean, sitting why, when, there. When, when are we going to get the next Lampard and the next Gerrard? And it's because of the sitting in midfield player. <laughs> it's the worst thing that's ever happened to football. Because now, because the centre halves can't pass it now, the the, the the midfield man's going back even deeper. And doing making passes from from in sometimes in between positions in the and it's it's because of this playing out from the back, it's opened the the team up so much that it's foot too far for midfield players to get in the box. And now I couldn't tell you I couldn't guarantee one midfield player that would get you ten goals in that Premier League now. Yeah, mm. no, it's I mean who 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 is your favourite player at the moment? That's a good one. I like the boy Mason Mount at uh, at Derby, only because he's developing yeah. and and, but I like him. Is there anyone in the Sunderland team at the minute you like? Uh, I like the uh, Gooch. Is it what's a yeah? Yeah. I like him. I think he's, he's he looks like he might be a player and Hollow Hall Hollyman. Yes, yeah. yeah. I think he can he can play, and I think they're a nice combination really. Uh, but the manager's got a good reputation. I mean, he, he's, you know, he was a name that caught everybody by surprise. But when you when you check up his pedigree of, yeah. of, mm. of what he's done and won the, the manager of the year in Scotland last year, you know, it, it's it, it he's he's got the right pedigree. And I I think it's easier to come in and build from the from the division they're in mm-hmm. that rather than trying to build when you're struggling at the bottom of the top <laughs> league. <laughs> Uh, any final questions, Nick, Neil, before we sign off? As a player, um, didn't you win the league? I was in Cluffy's first side that won the league. Yeah, yes. at Derby yeah. County. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I was just wondering what that was like. I mean, for, for the younger listeners, that would be like we're the premiership these days. So it's, it's effectively you won. Well, when Cluffy came from Hartlepool down to take over Derby County... I think he had a look at me and he wasn't quite sure. So he bought Carlin, Arthur Stewart, Toddy. Yeah. He bought about four or five players to replace me. But I kept sneaking back in. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I happened to be there. I mean, I hadn't won the, 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 
the thing in 100 years and then you happen to be in the side the year that they win it. Yeah. And of course, as, as you probably know, we won it on the Friday night against Liverpool 1-0. Yeah. And Arsenal, sorry, Liverpool and Leeds could have overtaken us if they'd won their last match. Yeah. And neither did. And, and uh, we were in Mallorca at the time on, on holiday because that was... Uh, Cluffy loved getting away at the end of the season. As soon as the last game was finished, we were on the first flight to Mallorca. Same place every year. And people used to come back and book the same weeks because they knew we'd be there and have a bit of fun. And that was a terrific achievement by him. I mean, when you when you think that he, uh, with a side, I'm not saying like Derby, but a town like Derby and then to go to Forest and, and win two European Cups. Mm-hmm. And he had, he had a system that... You only went down one side. You had identical wingers in. He had Hinton at Derby and he had Robertson at Forest, and nobody on the right-hand side, wide. And and what he did, he just ploughed the ball down the left-hand side all the time. And then on the right-hand side, where I played and Martin and Neil played for, for for Notts Forest, we were to get in at that back post at every opportunity, but never played really. We played with a right winger. And it was it was a horrible place to play because every time the left back got it, as a you went to close him, and when you got ten yards away, he played past you. So you were actually doing <laughs> doggies. And Martin complained about it many times. Martin said he, he didn't want to play there because it was much easier in the central midfield than, than playing on that right hand side. Yeah. But it is in you know now sides are so open and, and sides are so um, vulnerable to counter attacks that I think um, you know he obviously had something that. You know, I don't think anybody's really tried to copy since. Okay. Uh, I would like to thank you, Alan, for coming on. Um, it's been a pleasure. Um, and when's your book on sale? Is it on sale now? Yes, it is. It's out, yeah. yes. And uh, as I say, I, I haven't written it. It's all about that. just uh, those three years, uh, 81 to 84. Cool. And uh, Nick, Neil, uh, pleasure to have you on. Thanks very much. And, thanks uh, for inviting. Yeah, thanks for guiding me over a time <laughs> period which I wasn't 100% confident on. Um, did you research that? Yeah, I did a little bit. I mean, I still I made a few mistakes, but do you know what? It happens. That's life. Um, so thanks everyone for coming on. Uh, thanks for listening. And yeah, that's it. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.